Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. Good morning. Welcome all of our campuses, all of you watching online, all of us here. Hope you're feeling good today. Um, excited about the, at the end of this series, uh, The End Times. Before we get into that, I just got to say thank you. Uh, and I know they've already mentioned Brave in our worship, but uh, for those of you ladies that were able to come, man, how many know, man, God spoke and it was so awesome. Um, and I get to be here because I'm the pastor. Uh, but it was great, so good. And I just want to encourage you. Um, if you see some staff members that were involved in that, the, the things that go into making that happen, the tech, the creative, the video, the music, uh, the leadership, uh, the volunteers, guys, so much. Angela Lenz, one of our executive pastors, Aaron Alexander, one of our exec- executive pastors, Terry Kelly, uh, and all their teams, um, man, they made that thing happen. So can we give it up for them as well? Thank you guys for working so hard to make that a great event. And, uh, and ladies, let me just tell you, man, if you missed, you know, you need to check your salvation and see what's going on this way. Hey, um, okay, so uh, we're, you know I'm kidding, sort of, I'm sort of kidding. Um, this end of the series, uh, over the last uh, three or four weeks, we have kind of talked about the four views of eschatology, the study of end times, and there are many ways to look at it. I don't know that anybody knows. In fact, I, don't, I really believe that no one knows exactly all the details and all the symbolism and every little thing. I think it's a little prideful to, to take that position that you would know um, or that I would know. But I do think there are some essential things that um, are, are pretty good for us as believers to know. And at least here at Hope, I'm responsible for this church. So so we talked about some of those things, the return of Christ, the second return, um, and uh, uh, the, the millennial and, and final judgment and the restoration of all things and, and so forth. So there's, there's some um, things that we do need to know. And so at the end of this series, we said we're going to answer some questions. Now, let me start off by saying there are a ton of questions that I can't answer. We had almost 700 questions come in. And there's no way, unless you want to be here all day and miss the Cowboy game at noon, which is why you're here. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, there's no way we can answer all those. But, but I decided to pick some that, that are typically we don't talk about or we've never talked about that hopefully will help you and I get better acquainted with the end times. A lot of the questions came in about the, the Antichrist. And just to let you know, the Antichrist is only mentioned a few times in the Bible and none in Revelation. Antichrist is only mentioned in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And there's a spirit of the Antichrist. And so I think many of us, and I, and I just bring this to you to caution yourself and ourselves as we try to pinpoint who the Antichrist is and what the mark of the beast is and so forth. I just want to encourage you that over the last 2,000 years, there have been many who have been labeled the Antichrist. Many who have been labeled as the, the beast out of the earth, uh, Revelation 12, 13. So um, I, I don't care to really try to tackle those kinds of questions because, to be honest with you, I don't know. Is the Antichrist a man? 
Is it a woman? Is it a system? Is it a symbolism? So those are kinds of things that, man, I'll just be honest. And I know some of you that are dispensationalists will, I mean, you're going to probably send me emails and I'm just going to send them right back to you um, because you don't know either. So be, quit being so self-righteous. All right, so, so what questions can we talk about that would be beneficial? So let's start. How many are ready? All right, here we go. Um, the first one, and this is a good one, and I think many of us have, have had this question Oh, I was like, what? Hey, don't put those up there until I say so. <laughs> Good night. Who's, who's back there? Run it. No, I'm kidding. Number one, put it up. Now put it up. <laughs> Where there be, will there be animals in heaven? How many have ever wondered that? Raise your hand. You've wondered that. Raise your hand. These are the people. Raise your hand. These are the people who could care less about Jesus. All they want to see is their fifi. Right? ridiculous you guys no so how many think that there will be animals slash pets in heaven how many think probably not john if i were being honest probably not okay revelation 19 11, then i saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there <laughs> guys i mean there's a white horse. There's got to be a white dog <laughs> or a white cat. But you notice it's white, right, for purity, all that stuff. And I, I understand, you know, anyway, I don't really know the answer to this question, except that I would say probably, there's probably, you know, speaking of uh, the Old Testament prophets who spoke of the millennial reign, whether that's a literal thousand years or figurative thousand years, it does mention that the lion will lay down with the lamb. You remember that passage? And so there seems to be a talk of, of you know, animals uh, in the afterlife that, because we'll be transformed, our bodies, the resurrection will have already happened so, uh, of the dead. So, uh, man, I, I, pretty, I would just say, yeah, there's probably going to be animals. Now, now, the other thing about this, and, I be, and I'm being serious about this, and I know you, you might be offended at this because you love your pets, but I don't think you're going to care. When we stand before the Lord, I don't think you're going to be looking for Fifi or whoever. <laughs> Tina, my mom's dog. Anyway, I love you, mom. Um, I don't think you're going to be looking for your relative. I don't. Now, we, we may see them, and I'm not saying that. And I know that's a comfort for us at, at times of grieving. But can I just say that I do think that our focus and our attention are probably not going to be the things of this world. They're just not. And I know that that sounds like, well, what's heaven going to be like? Well, that's going to be fun. And I, we'll talk about this. But I, I feel like, man, I think the, the concern for us is who's going to be in heaven and, and, and are there going to be this or that? I think the only thing we're going to be really concerned about is Jesus and, and seeing him and, and understanding and coming into fullness of our relationship with him. So that, that's my two cents. Next question. Why did the New Testament church believe that the second coming was imminent? Um, imminent means uh, could happen at any moment. Why, why did they believe that? Well, um, there are instances where I, I feel like Paul especially uh, alludes to the fact that he is coming. He's coming soon. And nobody, none of them say he's coming in the first century, but they allude to the fact that he's coming soon. Now, 
I, I think to answer this question, we have to always understand that God does not operate in our time sequence. He, he operates outside of time, so there is no time with him. Now, I understand it's hard for us to understand, but we measure days and, and, and weeks and years and millenniums, and, and he, it's it just not that way with him. And so from Adam, chap, or from Genesis chapter 3, when, when God is talking in the garden to the enemy, and he prophesies about he's going he's gonna to bring a savior, a Messiah, Jesus, who will crush his head. Um, that was thousands of years before Jesus actually came. Isaiah 9, the, the great Christmas verse that, that we talk about uh, or that we read, was six, 700 years before Jesus ever came. So th- when we say quickly, when we say, you know, hey, he's coming soon, that is a relative term in God's timetable. Let me read 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. This is my second letter to you, dear friends, and in both of them I've tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the holy prophets said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through our apostles. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, so this is the context, speaking of last days, scoffers will come. Mocking the truth and following their own desires, they will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? So when I was growing up, and I've told you this many times, I grew up in a church that talked about the rapture and talked about end times quite frequently. Nothing wrong with that. However, I truly believed when I was in high school, that I would never graduate high school because I believed the Lord was coming back before my graduation. And truly believe that. I just like, oh no, he's coming back before whatever. And, and for 2,000 years, every generation has inserted current events, has inserted their particular persuasion or experiences and, and tried to imagine that he would come back. And there's nothing wrong with that because there, he can come back at any moment, at any time. There's no question about that. Let me read on. From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. So in other words, he's just addressing those who say, yeah, I thought you said Jesus was coming back. Yeah, where's that at? Verse five, they deliberately forgot or forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command and he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the word to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present this, the present heavens and earth have, have been stored up for fire. In other words, they're going to be renovated, new heaven and new earth. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed, the final judgment. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. Our, tame ta- our timetable is just not his timetable. And what, what we think is quick is not quick to him. The Lord isn't really slow about his promises, some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Amen. So the, the idea that, that maybe, uh, let me just say this, that maybe Jesus has already come in the first century. The preterists believe that, and, and they believe the revelation has already happened. And I don't, I mean, whatever. I, if that's what you believe, that's fine. But... The, the reality is it, the timetables that we put on God about our own situations or even about biblical prophecy 
are just, um, uh, you know, they're going to fall short every time. We're going to be disappointed when we try to put, and this is my opinion, but try to put current events and try to do all those things because, man, to me, just to me, and and I understand there are great people who do this and there are very smart people who do this, but to me, it's a waste of our energy. Just be ready. Be ready, live your lives, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, he could come at any time. Do I believe that? Yes. Do I believe he's coming back? Yes, I do believe that. Uh, how and when all that happens and all the orders and stuff, man, I think that, uh, man, study it out. Um, search it out for yourselves. Don't just take my opinion or, or my teaching. To, to search it out. Read Revelation. Read commentaries. Research. Do some things. If that interests you, do some things like that. But don't get distracted by the peripheral things of his return, uh, dates, times, current events, just understand he's coming. Jesus said, I'm coming, so watch and be ready. Number three, what will heaven look like? Um, let me just dive in, Revelation 21, and, and I think that uh, having a, a real understanding of what the final days, uh, when I say final days, it will go on forever, but but what the restoration will look like is not, I think, sometimes what we think. I, I think that sometimes we think that, you know, it's some way, somehow, everybody's going to go to heaven in this outside of our universe, cosmic place that is beautiful and, and so forth. That is not the way Scripture depicts the, the final uh, days of our of our uh, restoration of the restoration let me read revelation 21 so he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city jerusalem descending out of heaven from god it shone with the glory of god and sparkled like a precious stone like jasper as clear as crystal the city wall was broad and high and with 12 gates guard with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels and the names of the 12 tribes of israel were written on the gates, let me just insert here. Uh, one of the questions was asked: What is Israel's role in end time prophecy, or will there be a role? And in my opinion, yes, I do believe Israel has a place in God's kingdom, and 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 the prophecies of the Old Testament don't just automatically transfer to the church, and that's it. I, I do think Israel, and and one of the things here is that the the names of the 12 tribes of Israel are going to be written on the gates. If Israel didn't have any place, if the church was really the only, is, is the replacement of Israel, why would there be names of the 12 tribes, right? So in my opinion, this is one of those times in which we can kind of look at this and go, okay, Israel does have some kind of place in this. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. When he measured it, he found it was square. So this, this city is square, as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. Big city. Then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick, according to the human standard used by the angel. The wall was made of jasper, and the city was pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. 
Twelve gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl. That's a big oyster. And the, and the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. So clear gold, as clear as glass. Hmm. Maybe that's a symbolism. Maybe all of this, the, 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 the types of what we're seeing, it was city of gold or whatever. Maybe that's symbolism. Maybe it's not. He says, I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple, and the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light. Listen to this. The nations will walk in its light. Who are the nations? Who are these kings? I don't think we understand, quite understand that, that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth my, the way that I feel like I think that this happens, the new Jerusalem comes down and that really kind of is the heaven that we think of. And, but yet the earth, as beautiful as it is now, listen, I've been a, a lot of places in the world, beautiful places, um, and, and I've ridden in our own country, which is just unbelievable, just the beauty. Guys, I don't think we're, we've seen anything yet. Uh, Paul says, eye has not heard, uh, seen and ear has not heard what he has prepared for us. There's no way that we can comprehend, as good as you think your life is right now, as beautiful as you think this world is right, or we think this world is right now, it will not compare. And, and, but the, the, the point here is that it, it seems like, for those of you worried that we're gonna be singing for all eternity, you know what I'm saying? For some of us are like, are, are we really going to? Because worship leaders love to say that. And they are so dead wrong. Um, uh, we're not going to be singing for all eternity um, that I know of, that is described at least in, in the writings that, that I'm, re- uh, the scripture that I read. There, there's going to be um, nations and kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there, there's no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the, into the city. All that said, what was the question? Oh, what would have looked like? So um, what I do know is that I think it's going to be beyond our wildest dreams what heaven will be like and what, what we will experience and how we will live and it's not gonna be boring. Those of us who think, man, it's just gonna be kind of boring, man. I, I, I like doing things. I like whatever. I think you're gonna be able to do things. As good as you think you can ex- imagine heaven, there's that song I could only imagine and that is only what we can do. We can only imagine. And that's why I don't know why anybody would not want to be a part of that. I don't know why anybody would just say, oh, that's all fairy tale. I mean, scripture is so, uh, you know, 40 different authors over 1,500 years wrote this, and it all just kind of blends together, and it just kind of points us to Jesus, of course. But, man, there is an eternity that is unbelievable. And I don't know exactly if these are symbols of what heaven's going to look like. Who knows? It doesn't really matter. It's going to be awesome. That's, that's what I know. That's, heaven is going to be awesome. Okay, let's change gears. Number four, is there a purgatory? So if you were raised Catholic, a lot of us, a lot of you were. I was not raised Catholic. My mom was raised Catholic. My grandmother was Catholic. Um, so the, the, the teaching of, of purgatory is an interim state after you die. But if you were not baptized or you were... 
um, not as good of a person as you should have been, you would go to what is called purgatory, a holding place, an interim place for those who, again, have not been baptized or had not measured up. Now, those of us on the other side who knew you could pray prayers uh, for the dead and purification, do things for purification for the dead. In other words, do penance for them so that they could, at the resurrection, be uh, um, enter heaven instead of go to hell. Now, now there is no biblical support for a purgatory, none whatsoever. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not mad because you believe in purgatory or somebody believes in purgatory, but it's just not there. There is no scripture ever in the whole Bible that uh, even alludes to a holding place for people who have not measured up. Okay, this just doesn't exist. But more importantly, l- let me talk about this, and this is no slam on the Catholic Church. I'm not one who hates the Catholic Church. I have a great friend. One of my great friends I grew up with is a Catholic priest. I'm telling you, he loves Jesus. My uncle, Bill, who just passed away, 96 years old, World War II veteran, um, was Catholic all his life, went to church every day up until just a few months ago, every day, and uh, loves Jesus. So please do not uh, um, take my words as, as condescending or even prideful. However, let me make something very, very clear. You and I cannot do anything to become right with God. We do not work, penance, pray, kneel, crawl, whatever. We cannot do anything to deserve his grace. So purgatory is an unbiblical understanding of how we are made right with God. We are not made right with God because you and I accept Jesus, his grace, but then work to keep it. Can't do that. Doesn't work that way. We we have received grace as a gift. No man can boast about his work. Amen. None of us. So the understanding of I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay for my sin, I'm going to make a, and now, now listen, I understand that it makes us feel a little better. Okay, I understand that. That, that okay, so, so I can, I'm off the hook. I just said, you know, 10 prayers or, or I just did this or I did that. Can I just... Uh, can I humbly say that what you're really kind of saying is, is you're nullifying what Jesus did on the cross. Right. Jesus paid for our, all of our sin, past, present, and future. And so just as a clear understanding so that you understand where I stand, where we stand as a church, that, that whatever you believe about purgatory it doesn't really bother me. It's just the understanding of grace the understanding of how we are made right with God has nothing to do with what we do except accept it. Amen. That's it. We accept what he's done. It is a free gift of God, undeserved, unmerited, and we can't work for it. Right. So that's the better question is the understanding of grace because purgatory represents a, a, a lack of understanding of how we're made right with God. And that's my humble opinion about that. So we'll stop there. Hope that, hope that helped. Number five, this is one I get a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. If someone is cremated, 
Do their bodies still go to heaven once Christ returns, since their body is not buried, but are ashes, or in some cases have been spread? This has been a, a, a huge question recently, especially. Um, the context of Revelation 20, what we're getting ready to read, is the final judgment, the great white throne judgment, sorry. Or final judgment, yeah. And, and so the context is for unbelievers, but it, it, it helps us understand resurrection. And let me read it to explain. Revelation twenty thirteen, The sea gave up its dead. Okay, so you got the sea, those who have died at sea, you know, eaten by a shark, whatever. Then it says, and death and the grave gave up their dead. So you got three categories. The sea, death, and the grave. I'm not trying to read too much into this except to say that there is no Old Testament or New Testament prohibition for cremation. There is a passage about Josiah burning some bones of a human and putting them on the altar and it defiled the altar. It has nothing to do with cremation. It had everything to do with what he was doing. But um, there is no prohibition about cremation. And that has been a, that has been a long-standing, uh, you know, I don't know if it's debate, but question in the church for, for many, many years Many taught that you could not be cremated, that if you're cremated, there will be no resurrection for you. That is not true. Amen. If, if, if he can find the people in the sea, <laughs> and if he can find the people all over the, in the graves that have been washed away and, you know, whatever, I, if he can create this world with a, with a, with a word, he is not going to have any problem finding you or your ashes in the rivers of Colorado or wherever, right? He's just not going to have a problem with that. So I, I think rest assured for, and this is again my opinion, but I feel strongly, strongly that it's biblically inaccurate to put that, that burden on people. That if you've been cremated, my dad was cremated and I know where he is. There's no doubt about that. But not because I believe that, but because the word tells me. Okay, so that makes make sense. So that's what that we, I don't base it on my feeling. I base it on what I understand about the word. And I know that whether you're cremated, death, in the sea, in the grave, is buried, um, you're going to be, you're going to be fine. You're going to be just fine. Okay. So number six, uh, uh, I got to, okay, I got to quickly move here. Number six, how do I recognize prophecy from conspiracy? I'm glad you asked. Um, okay, let, let, me, let me start this way. Because I'm the speaker and the, the teacher here, I mean, not the only one, but the teacher here at Hope, I have a personality. And I, my personality is, comes through in my teaching. Just because I have a certain personality does not mean I'm always right in the way that I look at things that are you know, now I'm not talking about biblical things. I'm just talking about the way the things I look. I'm a very laid back person. I have zero interest in conspiracies. That is my personality. JFK conspiracies. <clears throat> I could, it's not that I don't. I don't think it's important. It's just I don't care. 
conspiracies about whatever. And I could say some things and rile us all up. But I have zero interest in conspiracies. And, and this is my opinion. I think that we dig ourselves in this conspiracy rabbit hole and we waste a lot of time Amen. on things that don't matter and that you would and I will never be able to prove. Probably. Possibly. However, I know on the other side of this, my other, my other side of my just you know, thinking about things, I understand that you may have a different personality. And, and that you, uh, my, my wife likes to listen to uh, crime podcasts and stories. What? <laughs> you know, I have no interest. My daughter, they love it. They, have you listened to the episode? And I'm like, geez, what a, you should be in the Bible. You should be in the Word. <laughs> you know, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm not really kidding, but No. But I have just no interest. I have zero interest in, in, in that kind of thing. It doesn't mean it's wrong or right. So I'm kidding. I really am kidding. It doesn't mean it's wrong or right. If you have no interest in football, for instance, you have zero interest. It's like it doesn't matter. Of course, it doesn't matter. But if you do have an interest, it doesn't mean I have the right to just condescendingly tell you, oh, you're not a good Christian because you like football or because you like conspiracies. Okay, so having said that, okay, having said that, does that make sense what I just said? Say yes. yes. Okay. So um, uh, on the other side of this, though, when it comes to spiritual things and conspiracy, in other words, a lot of us, and, and it's, I mean, in, in these last couple of years, Christians have tried to marry prophecy and conspiracy. Guys, that is an embarrassment to the kingdom of God. It is an embarrassment to the name of Jesus and is an embarrassment to the church and the mission of the church. Endorsing candidates from the stage. Guys, our mission is not of this world. Amen. It is not of this world. And when we marry, and I'm not saying all the candidates are conspiracy. I'm just saying that, guys, we got to be really careful to preach the word. Preach the word and, and, and know that God has everything in control. Conspiracies and prophecy. Prophecies is something from God. It is a message from God. Conspiracy, listen, I'm not saying that all conspiracies are untrue. They may be true. Uh, not proven yet. Whatever. Doesn't matter. When you marry those things, what, what, what you're saying God is saying, and you're in marrying it with some kind of earthly conspiracy, guys, it brings a lot of confusion. So let me give you scripture, okay? Let me give you scripture. If you're, if you're mad at me right now, just give me a hug at the, at the end, and I'll love on you. Colossians 2, and now just as you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him, and let your lives be built on him. That's an important part of this passage. Let your roots grow down in him. Not the things of this world, not anything else but him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking 
and from the spiritual powers which are demonic of this world rather than from Christ. Let me read that again. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from, and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. So you are also, so you are also, what? So you also are complete, sorry, through our union with Christ, listen to this, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Amen. What does that mean? He's in control. He's in control. White House is in control. Let me say it again. White House is not in control. Governor of Texas is not in control. Governor of Wyoming is not in control. What do you call the the thing? United Nations, they're not in control. Prime Minister of England is not in control. Uh, uh, China, whatever they call him, is not in control. I'm I'm not making fun. I just don't know what what his prime minister, I don't know, whatever he is. King, whatever. Not in control. Who's in control? He's in control, guys. We don't. We what we are. We are. Uh, we are operating out of a wrong foundation when we get freaked out and overworked with philosophies and unsounding and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and demonic things. Build our lives. On him. Okay, is that good? All right. <clears throat> Number seven. Last one. Last one. If we, uh, if, we are indeed, if we are indeed in the end times, what's the best way for believers to act and live? I don't know who asked that question. That was the best question that came in. If we are living in the end times. So are we living in the end times? I've already told you that. Acts chapter two, birth of the church. Peter um, memorizes and, and quotes Joel, the prophet Joel, in the last days, these things will happen. We're in the last days, guys. From that moment on, from, from that moment till, till, till now, we're in the last days. Now, I understand what people mean. Oh, I mean the end, the last of the last days. Every generation has thought that they were. I say that, I don't know that for sure, but it, 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 I'm sure that every generation thought I mean, all, when we insert all the current events of, of just recent days, then you go back to the 60s when I was born and all the chaos. I've gone back and looked at documentaries after documentaries on the 60s and the chaos that ensued on the college campus and sex, drugs, and rock and roll and, and, and lying and cheating in the White House and you know all those things that were just, I mean, it was crazy time. And I know that was early 70s, but 60s and 70s. Well, you go back to the World War II. And, and those who were alive in, in Europe and, and even here in the States and, and the evil and the crazy things that happened in Germany and in the surrounding areas to not only God's people, the Jews, but just to the world. And then you go back from there to World War II. If you've, read, if you've watched any documentaries on World War II, it's just like, oh my God goodness, numbers of people that were killed. Then you go back to the civil war. And then you go back to the revolution. And then you go back to European wars. And you go back to Asian wars. You go back to, you know what I'm saying? You could insert all kinds of generations into this thing. And, and, I, and I say this 
I say this, I think with a humble heart, that guys, as believers, we do the world and our friends and our family a disservice when all we talk about is end times and all we talk about is judgment and all we talk about is trying to insert current events into the eschatology. Man, guys, we've done that for years and years and it's never worked. Never worked. And you know what? People look at us and they just kind of laugh. They just kind of go, yeah, they're weird. And yes, in a sense, Christian, all Christians are weird. I get it. We don't live in this world. We're not of this world. We follow, and instead of get ahead in life in, in, the, in the sense of selfishness, we serve. Instead of going, being first in line, we go last. You know, those types of, kinds of things. But the question, again, is if we are indeed in the end times, what's the best way for believers to act and live? Well, let me read Second Peter chapter 3, verse 13 14. <clears throat> but we look forward to the, to the new heavens and the new earth. So again, the context is the end. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while we are waiting, that's what we're doing, while we are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Now, I, I don't think it's just peaceful lives, you know, like you know, we don't have opinions, you know, we don't vote, we don't get involved. We don't, I don't, that, that's not what I think this is referring to. However, peaceful lives could have to do with, you know, the way we act toward one another and to those outside of our belief system. I think sometimes in the church and, and sometimes we as Christians equate America with the church or with the people of God. And America is not that. America is filled with all kinds of sinful, you know, rebellious and, and craziness. But in the church, no matter what happens around us individually or what happens around us in the world. So I know in our lives, things happen and they can be very, very challenging to walk through. Some of us have endured abuse of all kinds. Some of us have walked through tragedy in our families. Some of us have walked through such pain in our lives. And then globally or in our world, in our area, there are a lot of things that happen that are crazy, that are um, challenging. While we are waiting, we live peaceful lives. In other words, we're not freaked out. We're not freaked out when wars happen. Doesn't mean we're not concerned. Okay, doesn't mean that we don't have an opinion. Doesn't mean that we don't have you know things that we need to do. But we're, we're not. We're we're at peace. Earthquakes, famines, in our own lives individually, when things happen and they don't go the way that we want. The, the, here's the deal: we represent Jesus here on this planet, on this earth. And of all the people on the planet, and you know, you can probably finish this for me, but of all the people on the planet who, in no matter what's going on, I know it's easy for me to say, I know this is easy for someone to say when they're not walking through what you're walking through, but in a general sense, of all the people on the planet who should be walking in peace, 
Because we know who, who's in control. We know who's in control. Now, we may lose our lives. We may lose our freedom. We may lose a lot of things. Christians down through history have lost their lives because of their commitment to Christ, because their commitment to the Scriptures, their commitment to, to the Apostle Peter, who said, now while you're waiting, live this way. And now this is contrary to a lot of what some Christian leaders are saying. I'm just telling you, this is scripture. Guys, let us get grounded in Jesus. Let us get, let us get founded in Jesus and, and operate from a foundation of peace, of love, of joy, clear-headed. We talked about two weeks ago, clear-headed, 1 Thessalonians. Clear-headed, all relating to the end times, all related to how we live as we wait. So if you're here today and that peace that I'm talking about has eluded you and you're a believer, you have, for the last two or three years, you have been in all kinds of turmoil. And you've, 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 built, you've, you've built a tunnel in the backyard so you can, with, with thousands of gallons of water and, you know, all kinds of things. And that's, whatever you want to do is fine. But you're, in, you're not in peace. You're not in turmoil. You're freaked out. And can I just tell you, people are watching you. People are watching me. Guys, let's live in peace. Let's not, so, let's not be so concerned with our lives here on this earth. That, that we neglect the influence that he has given us to reach a world that needs a peaceful people, an at-peace people. Guys, let's, let's wait. Let's be ready. Let's live pure and blameless lives. Let's be at peace. He's in control. Now, if you're not a believer today and you've never experienced that peace, that passes understanding that I'm talking about, that we can be at peace in the middle of our mess, in the middle of our storm, in the middle of our challenge. And I invite you to that today. Whoever you are and, and whyever it is that you have waited this long to accept what Jesus has done for you, paid for your sin, our sin, our mistakes, and given us the promise and the hope of, of a life that is eternal, not just temporary here. I invite you to receive that today. He loves you. God loves you. He's not mad at you. He took that wrath out on Jesus on the cross. He is inviting us to the table. Would you accept? Lord, pray for those of us in the room as believers first that are, are just so sideways energy uh, using that in, in all of our lives, just trying to figure out this and that and trying to, I don't know what we're trying to do. I think we're, we're just trying to survive. We're operating in a spirit of fear. And you've not called us to a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. God, let us as believers hold fast to your word. Hold fast to our faith. And may we represent you well to this world who watches all that's going on 
looking for. We know they're looking. The harvest is plentiful. It's the workers that are few. May we be ready, willing to lay down our personal agendas for your world mission. So, for those who are away from you today, who've not yet accepted your grace, your peace, God, I pray that today would be their day. In Jesus' name, I pray. Thanks for listening to Hope's Weekend Message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.